Sunday morning to everybody. Happy Sunday, happy Sunday, happy Sunday. I'm a little raspy today because everything in the world is going around, but I'm better. Are you all better? Are you all out there taking care of yourselves, washing your hands, Lysol and down? Let me tell you, the flu is real. COVID is still real. Um, RSV and these babies are real. And I cannot lie to you and tell you there have been times in the past two weeks dealing with me being sick and my granny and my kid that all I wished for was to go back into lockdown. But not really. Um, so thank you, Hilario and Tara, for holding it down for me last week. I'm holding it down this week for them. And hopefully we can all be together next week, yeah, which I don't think we will be. Um, welcome to another Sunday morning where we're going to talk about politics, hottest politics in Chicago. As as our uh, former host used to say, this side of the Jordan. Um a lot happened in the world this week, um, namely, um, well, a lot has been happening over and over. So let me frame it for what we're going to talk about today. So on the ballot in early in November, I know it seems like eons ago, we had something called treatment, not trauma in distinct neighborhoods on the ballot. And Treatment Not Trauma is a program that we, we've talked about before, but Kennedy, who's going to come on a little bit later, um, is really going to go through and explain exactly what Treatment Not Trauma is. So it won on a ballot in different neighborhoods in Chicago. 20th Ward, 6th Ward um, were two of the biggest places it was on a ballot. But what's the next steps? The city passed a budget in early November that still had um, over, I think now it's like 47% of the city budget going to policing. So what happens next? Like, do we stay at this rate? Um, I've been talking to people and they've been talking about the carjackings and just the crime, the shooting. There was a random shooting in Jeffrey Manor with a mother and her son walking across the school parking lot and the mom lost her life. She was doing nothing but walking with her son. So everybody talks about we need more police and that would be a huge question for a lot of people. Is it more police? Is it more programming? Is it more, is it more social workers? Is it more all of that? I think the thing that bothered me the most about that shooting is the school that they were walking across the parking lot at night. The little boy was a student at, he got shot. That Monday, they didn't have services for those kids in that school. They had the regular school social worker. There was no special services for those children that were brought in. So what desensitization are we giving our kids when violence happens? Is that making them more violent? And after living with this for generations, how violent will the next generation be? So... um Six-figure Dilla, Dilla Sherman, the hood, the Chicago historian, street historian that's all on uh, TikTok and Instagram, talked about the story of Yummy. Yummy 
um, was 11 years old when he was murdered by fellow gang members. But Yummy had been doing crimes, had murdered a 14-year-old girl um, by the time he was 11. He was a child. How are we desensitizing our children and not giving them what they need? So I'm going to bring her in. Kennedy. Kennedy can tell you all about her. I had the opportunity of working with her when she was at United Working Families. Now she's gone on to bigger and better things. Kennedy Bartlett, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. So, Kennedy, let everybody know what you're doing now and what is treatment, not trauma. Yeah, so now I'm over at the Chicago Torture Justice Center um, as the director of campaigns, um, working with brilliant and amazing organizers um, and folks who were most directly impacted um, by the most egregious uh, expressions of of state violence, you know, um, police torture um, at the hands of John Burge and many detectives that came before and after him. and treating that trauma, um, much like you were framing, Candace, um, is an initiative that would send an EMT, a mental health professional, um, community and peer groups to mental health crises as opposed to police officers. So, so it's in an EMT, mental health professionals, other than police officers, but so... And I know people have heard this, but let's really get it out there and frame it for people. Aren't police trained to help deal with mental health crises? Um, I mean, no. I think that, like, in the, in the you know, aftermath of trigger events or moments like 2020 um, or even, you know, the release of the little Kwame McDonald video and all of these like instances of hyper visible lies, um, police murders, you know, there are always these reforms that come through, um, one of which being like various de-escalation trainings um, or, you know, like implicit biases training, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then we look no further than like Quintonio Legreer and Betty Jones. Um, in all these instances, I mean, and even Laquan McDonald, in all these instances, there being mental health crises, um, armed officers showing up, um, and folks ending up dead, you know? And I think that, to be frank, like, it, it puts officers in, in harm's way, of course, but it, it puts our communities that they're, you know, of course, paid to, to serve, um, in, in hyper-violent situations and usually, like, hyper-escalatory situations. Um, and officers, you know, we've heard even say that they have been given, you know, this litany of lists that, that just don't need to, list of tasks, I guess, that just don't need to be solved with a, with a gun. So we know that, like, reforms just result in, you know, being able to see murders more often, right, when we get things like body cams, um, so, yeah, uh, it's, it's just uh, our our politic and our analysis that an officer with a gun uh, is not, you know, in, in a position to bring the level of care and, and holistic censoring of the whole person to these instances of, of hyper crises and, and escalation. So <clears throat> I first learned years ago. 
I think this murder happened in Calumet City in um, 2011, I want to say. It was a 15-year-old kid who was autistic. Um, and the one cop that usually came to the home and was able to talk him down was on vacation. This kid had a butter knife, did not have anything big, had a butter knife, and was threatening his mom. But she couldn't, his big kid, couldn't get the butter knife from him. The cops came in and shot and killed this young man with a butter knife. When we talk about treatment, not trauma, we talk about sending a mental health professional that could have dealt with that differently. And we hear cases like that and feel like they're extreme, right? Kennedy, do we know how often cases like that come up and end in violence? Maybe not murder, but end in violence? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we there are numbers. I, I think that it's it shifted um, at this point, but for a while the number was going around that when police officers respond to mental health crises, folks are 17 times more likely um, to be murdered. And I can even speak to like, you know, some like personal experiences. I live out West in Garfield Park. Um, and earlier this year, just a few months ago, um, I had just left my place and I saw a man like stumbling um, and, and was just like, obviously not okay right and this is like someone in my community and i pulled over um and you know i like saw that he was about to like fall and i like did whatever i could to like you know ease the fall and then there was um this guy and his girl driving by um two black folks also from the community they pulled over um and we were able to like you know deduce that he was he was overdosing um and we were able to you know like provide some level of care without having like a you know particular like set of skills um and we had to call the 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 ambulance and for whatever reason an armed police officer also pulled up to the scene um at which time his first question was like sir do you have License, you know what I'm saying? It was like started checking his pockets for like his his driver's license, right? And neither myself nor this couple that pulled over had like significant training, right? But we were still able to offer a level of care because we are rooted in community and the fact that there is nothing that like a gun was going to do, right, to like mitigate the fact that this man was um, experiencing, um, in, in, in overdose. And so to your point about it doesn't always have to end in murder. Um, right. We know that like instances of violence that are much more common happen every day with the police, just like the, the inherent dehumanization that seems to come again with a person who has been trained largely to believe that they are above the law and that they are the purveyors of, of, you know, law and order. Um, and so, you know, um, I think it's my analysis that any time an officer is brought to an uh, in an event that requires de-escalation, um, there is a level of violence that comes to that because a gun has been brought to the scene or to the site um, of of these you know of these instances. <clears throat> I you know I think you said it and you said it key. 
with just bringing a gun, right, with always bringing a gun, how does that how does that show up as the humanity of a person? People go through things and life lives. But if somebody is in some type of drug induced mental health or emergency situation, how does showing up with a gun actually shows that there are quality human being? Yeah, I mean, I think that like, if you ask anyone that's been in mental health crises or any, you know, like in any uh, instance of like heightened anything, um, I don't know that anyone's saying that the thing that brings me comfort in those moments is seeing a gun, right? Um, and I think that, you know, there's like this, the mayor has completely taken and co-opted um, our demand for treatment, not trauma, which, you know, is a non-lethal, right, so non-police response model to mental health crises, um, and pretty much put out this money that is disproportionately funded um, towards a co-responder model, right, so where a police officer and a mental health professional, um, a police officer and a mental health professional are, are you know, deployed to these these uh, instances of crises, um, and despite the fact that the mayor has overwhelmingly funded this model because of her addiction, right, uh, to to policing um, and surveillance in, in our communities, um, she's disproportionately, I mean, yeah, funded this over a, a, a pilot for something that looks more like treatment, not trauma. Um, we're not seeing numbers that reflect. Um, any de-escalation, right, like any less violence. And in fact, um, it is a well-known and well-repeated fact that officers, um, or rather social workers that are sent out with officers, don't feel safer, right? Um, and we know that officers oftentimes also put um, put these social workers in harm's way uh, along some similar trends to what they do in our communities. You know, we know that, like, officers are not uh, discretionary in, in their uh, purveyance of violence, right? And so, it, again, at, at no point in time, uh, whether it's a company with a social worker or otherwise, um, are we out here caping for, you know, sending an armed police officer, right, sending a gun uh, to the site of crises. So, Kennedy, we got to take a quick break. Just Can you stay through the break with us? Uh, sure. Because yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the difference with the co-responder model and why the mayor, even through all of these demands from community and what was most recently on the ballot, still wants to go through this. And what can the community do as next steps? We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am not about to spit on this track. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for staying with me, Kennedy. Um, we have a caller, Brian on line one. Brian? Good morning. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. 
Um, well, the reason I'm calling is, um, uh, first, I'd like uh, to uh, mention in uh, the mayor of New York, I believe his name is Adams, a new mayor, and uh, he uh, has this uh, uh, enacted, I believe uh, it's inactive, it's active now, uh, this program whereby uh, homeless people uh, can be uh, picked up uh, by police and involuntarily uh, incarcerated. Uh, and uh, and this uh, uh, completely, uh, I think, uh, misses uh, uh, the point, uh, a large point, uh, that uh, landlords have been driving mothers and children out of their apartments and their homes and making them homeless. And I think, uh, uh, quite frankly, um, we, to address the uh, problem, uh, has to, the uh, homelessness has to be addressed, and the problem of crime. If I may briefly, a quote from uh, the late uh, Robert F. Kennedy: "The essential cause of crime is poverty, poverty of goods, poverty of understanding. The consequences are loss of health, loss of dignity, loss of simple justice, loss of respect for law." I believe that as long as there is plenty, poverty is evil. Government belongs wherever evil leads an adversary, and there are people in distress who cannot help themselves. And I believe what the mayor of New York is uh, enacting, uh, the implications of this are very dangerous unless these homeless people have legal representation. You know what? I agree, honestly, and thank you for your call. What the mayor of New York is doing is criminal. And again, when we go back to talking about humanity and seeing people where they are, and we're not really talking about helping. We're talking about involuntarily taking people off the street. Um, And... Uh, there are people in Chicago who are like that done in Chicago, and that's absolutely wrong. It's not It's not just insane. It's just morally reprehensible. Um, Kennedy, what do you think about what's going on in New York? Um, I mean, yeah, I think that it it is. Uh, it follows the trends of what we're what we see always, right? Like the hyper criminalization of poverty. Um, we see that you know our cities, particularly our our largest economies, um, you know some of the richest and biggest economies of the history of the world, um, not able to meet you know the basic needs and, and rights of the folks who live there. Um, and we know, you know, that when poor folks and black folks and brown folks and undocumented folks um, are pushed from the center to the margins and then they run out of margins, they're pushed into jails and prisons, right, um, and, and then further invisibilized. Um, and, you know, I think in this particular moment of backlash um, for the movement almost uh, situated within the context of this hyper law and order um, um, political landscape, uh, you know, ahead of these elections, um, you know, kind of like what we're seeing in response to the Safety Act, um, right? And then also with the context of there being more housing than there has ever been in the history of the world right. in a city like what we see, you know, like vacant lots or vacant homes on every other block if you're driving on the west and south side. 
um, where you see a mayor that refuses to pass something like a real estate transfer tax that we know is just like common sense policy. I think that it it isn't surprising. Uh, I think it is the codification of the criminalization of poverty um, and that and, you know, and, and everything like it, I, I, I think, is uh, deeply reflective of, of yeah, like to your, the thing that you've been saying, Candace, um, dehumanization of, of poor folks um, and the ideal, I guess, invisibilizing of poor folks by, you know, it's, and it's not just the right, right? It's like liberals and neoliberals as well um, with these with these agendas of privatization and, you know, urban renewal, quote unquote, and things like that. So, yeah, really, really sad stuff. Um, and it feels really dystopic. Um, and it's not all that uncommon. So back to Chicago for a minute. So this mayor <clears throat> has put in place a co-responder model and it's still a pilot program, right, Kennedy? Oh, uh, that's right. Yep, it's still a pilot program. So it's not implemented citywide. Um, and I want to say it's not even implemented in those most affected communities by over-policing. And in the co-responder model, it's a police officer, still a person with a gun, and a mental health professional. Now, before we went to break, Kennedy, you were saying that we haven't seen any de-escalation or anything um, with this co-responder model. So, one, as it stands now... What kind of calls are these people being called on? Because there's an idea that when anything happens in a community, if there's a shooting, they're going to send a mental health professional and not a um, police officer. Um, But what kind of calls in this pilot program are people being called for now? And what's the difference with treatment, not trauma? Yeah, uh, good question. So, you know, and, and there are there are folks uh, who, you know, have been doing this work. I, I want to name um, for a very very long time, um, and I, I think I, I would love, you know, uh, Candace, if at another point you all could have folks like Cheryl Miller or Arturo Carrillo on the show um, that can really get into, you know, kind of like painting the arc. Um, of, of this fight, you know, from, you know, daily closing these mental health centers to ROM closing the mental health centers, all of the countless police murders um, as a result of those things, um, you know, and then like looking at the numbers uh, of these reforms, like co-responder models. Um, and I, I don't have like the specific numbers. A part of that is because, you know, I I am not Arturo, but another part of that is because of the the same thing that we always see, right, with these mayors, particularly this mayor, um, instituting things into our communities, um, saying what's best for us, and then there being no, little to no oversight, little to no um, accountability to, you know, pu- made public, public-facing accountability. It's not like with this pilot there are regular and frequent updates, Um there is no like codified set of uh, a list of, of you know what triggers the co-responder pilot versus just the cop. Um, we are not sure that they are even um, at capacity to meet the scale of the need. Um, and at the same time, right, it goes back to this addiction um, of uh, to policing um, and and this doubling down of uh, the narrative that you know security comes from. 
um, a person with a gun. And, you know, I was actually talking to your former co-host the other day um, <laughs> or, or at an event that your former co-host, uh, Commissioner Brandon Johnson, um, hopefully future Mayor Brandon Johnson, um, was at. And, you know, um, he made a point of, like, you talk to folks um, in, in some of our, in our neighborhoods, right, on the black south and west sides, um, and there is this idea that we need to send a person with a gun. And at the same time, there is this fear that what happens when the person with the gun comes, right? It's like this really uh, twisted uh, uh, kind of like double think that takes place of like, I, we've been conditioned to believe that when there is a, a, an instance of harm or crisis or whatever else, we need to bring the police. And at the same time, we have been conditioned to feel, right, um, a level of fear of what happens when this person with this gun comes into our communities, right? And the question is is more so why is it that we only have one number? And that's what efforts like Treatment Not Trauma are really posing. Um, you know, and, and to if I could talk through what Treatment Not Trauma looks like a bit more in practice, um, it's not just that folks uh, get deployed if should there be a 911 or even a number like 211 called and, and a mental health crisis is um, is is um, yeah called in uh, what treatment not trauma is saying uh, is that we need holistic presence in our communities we need to reopen uh, the closed centers we need to have 24 7 um, access to quality health care right mental health care um, and a part of uh, the demand is that there be these um, mobile crisis unit, units that have a rootedness in the communities that they serve um, that are driving around um, with folks of the community um, so that should there be, you know, an instance like I experienced with a neighbor overdosing, right? Like, it's like, what's the need of calling 911? We have the presence of these crisis units right here um, that can holistically, you know, address address the, the harm or the crisis right there. And so it's not just, you know, kind of reframing um, 911. It's, it's reframing what presence looks like and what investment looks like in our communities, which is holistically um, and, and just a wholesale and fundamental difference is what the mayor has put forth. Um, and again, I think it's just so important to note that these ideas from the mayor um, is literally a plagiarization of, you know, movement demands and, and movement work. Um, and then just like throwing, you know, some neoliberal uh, coloring to it. You know, it's like, um, you know, uh, invest in our communities, right? But like make it violent. Right? <laughs> because don't forget you have to involve the police. And, and that is just like antithetical to what we're saying. We don't see it as a step on our arc, right? We see it as regressive um, and, and just like further, further harmful. <clears throat> you know, what's interesting is, so wait, let me, let's dispel the myth right now. So if there is a shooting on my block, someone is shot, a mental it, treatment, not trauma does not mean that the police won't show up. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't think that any of uh, any of us, um, I, I can speak for myself, I, I recognize that if 
I, year after year, point to the fact that CPD gets nearly 40% of the budget. I think it's more like 45% now, Kennedy. Oh, so, yeah, even more egregious. Uh, thank you for the update. I won't shoot the messenger, but that is, yeah, it, it, it's, it's insane, you know, and I think so. If I can look and say that at the same time, I have to point to the lack, well, you know, like to the lack of investment, right? So I, I'm not unclear on the fact that um, this overbloated police budget means a lack of infrastructure, means a lack of um, things that address the root causes of violence. Um, and so with that, um, I think that it would be uh, some organizing malpractice, you know, on my part to say that we don't, um, that we are equipped to handle some of these instances of harm uh, with what we have right now. Um, what I am naming is that I think if the police budget moves away from 45%, and we see um, our neighborhood schools not being threatened um, to be closed down every other year and parents having to go on hunger strikes, right? Like if we don't see the shutting down of our after-school programs and our mental health centers and our grocery stores uh, save a lot in exchange for a Whole Foods and things like that, what I'm saying is that those shootings go down. You know what I'm saying? And, and so... As it stands right now, no, like we aren't in a position to address um, some extreme um, instances of harm and, and violence. Um, but but the idea that we are putting forth, these sets of ideas we're putting forth um, is, you know, exactly what the police are not built to do. And that is to interrupt violence. Right. Cops don't stop crime. Right. We hear this all the time. They come after it happens. Um and so, no, like if there's a shooting on your on your block, um, you know, I'm not suggesting, you know, cops don't come. What I am suggesting is that I'm not convinced um, that there's going to be a de-escalation. And what I'm positive about is that a cop coming doesn't change the fact that there was a shooting on your right. block. Right. Um, and so that's. Yeah. Wait a minute, Kennedy. I think you're saying something revolutionary. So you're saying that investment in mental health programs for our kids and having fully funded uh, park districts and having more things kids can do and even and even having counselors like at schools when shootings happen around schools and making sure we have jobs and quality food in our neighborhoods and not just hot chips and juice stores will and investing in those things will actually help reduce crime more than more police on the street. Yeah, revolutionary or not, that is what I'm saying, Candace. You're, you know, you're saying feeding, clothing, employment, and actually giving people the access to the help that they need will actually cut down the violence in Chicago, and it's a long-term investment that is more than just the police? Yeah, you know, and, you know, and jokes aside, that it is a radical idea, right? Because it gets to the root of the issues. And we look no further than neighborhoods like Lincoln Park, right? Um, people say, like, we need cops, we need cops. Like, Lincoln Park is, 
you know, where? There aren't shot spotters on every block, right? Um, there aren't cops, uh, you know, like, surveilling the communities there. But what there are, like, well-funded schools, right? And, like, Whole Foods and parks, green parks, you know, and, like, neighborhoods where kids don't have to negotiate with their parents if they can walk to the right side or the left, but they get to walk all around their neighborhoods, right? Like, those things exist. And so do significant, um, lower uh, rates of, of crime and longer life uh, spans, right? And so um, these ideas aren't all that revolutionary. They are radical, um, again, in the sense that they get to the root of the issue. Um, but yeah, what I'm suggesting is what I think a lot of us have been naming is that there are you know, this quote-unquote tale of two cities, right, two Chicagos, um, where places where people who are 15 minutes from downtown have never seen Millennium Park, right? Like, um, we, we, what we're saying is that we have to we have to um, just create parity across our communities and not um, on, a, on a case-by-case basis, but we're talking about structural investments, right? We're talking about not an S because a neighborhood or a block happens to have an SSA, then they get pretty streets. We're saying, no, this needs to be the priority of the city. Right. And every time we talk about budgets, we hear the right thing, which is that budgets are moral documents, right? It's where you get to put your priorities on paper. Um, and we're saying that we want to see that the West side of Chicago is just as much of a priority as the North side. So Kennedy, Kennedy, we gotta, we gotta take another break, but real quick, I think when we come back, it was on the ballot. So let's talk about what are the next steps for those communities where it was on a ballot. But you're right. Budgets are moral documents. And you know what? So are elections. We'll be right back. back look Dylan got me some tea so I feel much better <laughs> but so we talked we've talked a lot about the problem right we talked a whole lot about the problem is why we need treatment not trauma and not the corresponder model so Kennedy it was on the ballots in a couple of wards in many precincts especially I know on the south side what now what are our next steps now yeah, yeah. If I could, before even going there, like share with folks what you know what it what what it did, right? What we did. Um, so we had treatment not trauma um, on the ballot in uh, the sixth ward, the twentieth ward, and the thirty third ward. Um, and you know those those wards are really important when you think about um, the makeups, right? Um, and you think about make how those wards are made up, especially in the context of a lot of the narratives that we've been hearing. So the sixth ward, um, majority black ward on the south side, like you said, Candace, the 20th ward, um, majority black with a huge um, Latina uh, Mexican population, right, with back of the yards. Um, and then the 33rd ward, um, this, you know, Northwest side, diverse, uh, growing immigrant populated ward. 
Um, and I, I think it's important that we name where where that question was on the ballot because, you know, especially post-2020, um, we hear a lot that black folks, uh, particularly elder black, uh, elder black folks and, and Latinx folks, don't believe in alternatives to policing, right? Black people want the police. Black people don't believe in defund. Black people don't believe in, you know, uh, divest, invest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we said we want to see, right? Because, like, when the mayor put out her, her survey in 2020, and 87% of respondents said they want to see money move from um, CPD to, um, you know, other services, uh, the mayor's response to why her budget didn't reflect that is that, uh, you know, that data came from uh, largely white, middle-class populated neighborhoods. And I, I've never in my life heard that, uh, you know, respondents were too white for something to happen. You know, that was a first, but it was like, word, well, let's see what the rest of the city thinks, right? And so we ran this, this referendum question on the ballot on November 8th. Um, and on average, across all three wards, 97% of the electorate said that they want um, the city of Chicago to reopen the closed mental health centers uh, to support treatment, not trauma. Um, and that looks like like tens of thousands of people like going out to vote for an alternative to the police. When I was out there in the 20th ward um, from you know 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., um, on election day, and I was going precinct to precinct having conversations with people. So many of the voters that I caught were like, before I get it out of my mouth, they're like, oh, yeah, that's the reason I'm here. You know, like people who weren't t- typically activated by voting, um, folks who don't get excited around candidates came out for this question, you know, so you can't tell me that black folks don't believe in alternatives to the police because you're telling me that the 18,000 people in Woodlawn that said yes to the question don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now when you talk about next steps, of course, um, the referendum was advisory, meaning that it's non-binding and despite the fact that um, an overwhelming um, resounding percentage of the electorate said yes to this. Um, it, it doesn't make it a law. Um, but, you know, there is a reason that we put it on the ballot in November and not February, mm-hmm. because we wanted to make sure that our voices were loud and clear to anybody hoping to um, run for elected office at the municipal level, um, that we are coming into 2023 elections with a mandate, right? The people are saying that this is what we want. And you, it, you know, it is prudent that you take a stance on this thing um, because the, the, we're watching, you know, and, and you can't say you don't know what we want because we just told you at the ballot box. Right. Um, and so in terms of next steps, um, you know, we get to take again, that mandate into 2023. Um, there are, uh, going to be forums and rallies across the city um, with a lot of the groups that made up um, this effort uh, through a formation called the People's Platform. Um, and we're going to make sure that our, our wedge issues and our marquee demands are being asked of these candidates and they're having to take um, very clear stances. Um, because, you know, a lot of these things for us are life and death. And so the answer on them is quite black and white. Um, and, and, and so, uh, there's a next step, uh, importantly, 
Alderman Sawyer of the 6th Ward, alderman of um, one of the wards that the referendum question was in, uh, is also the chairman of the Health and Human Services Committee and City Council and uh, has all of the power in the world to hold the hearing on treatment, not trauma, that we as movement have been demanding all year. Um, hold the hearing. So we have to put pressure on Alderman Sawyer to hold that hearing. Um and we have to make sure that treatment, not trauma, uh, the version that's in city council is most reflective of um, the conversations we've had on the doors. Um, and, yeah, we have to make sure that as we go into 2023, the next person, the next mayor of our city, uh, the next alder of our wards um, are, are advocates and champions, right? Not just in agreeance, but are champions of treatment, not trauma. So wait a minute, Kennedy. Wait. <clears throat> Alderman Sawyer has the power right now to call this a healthy human services. So what do we need to do other than voting in February? What do we need to do to make sure that what can we do? Should we be calling Alderman Sawyer's office? Like what can we do to see if this could get to a hearing now? Should we be calling the alderman? Should we be calling Alderman Sawyer? Like, what What can we do? And who else is on the committee who may be favorable to this for us? Yeah, so, um, yes, we, we need to call Alderman Sawyer, email him, tweet him, and tell him to hold the hearing on city council. Um, and I, I know that there is this talking point going around that there has been a hearing. Um, and, and we say we know better. You know, there hasn't been a hearing. When there was a hearing in Health and Human Services, um, you know, our Wadi and other hand-picked allies of the mayor were able to take over, and it was largely a hearing on the co-responder model. Um, and we're saying, no, we want a hearing on treatment, not trauma. Treatment, not trauma deserves the space. Um, and, and, and the people who have been fighting for it, both in the co- uh, Collaborative for Community Wellness, but also the folks who went out on Election Day and voted for it. We deserve the space um, to get to get meaningful engagement and thoughtful engagement on treatment, not trauma. Um, and the eyes are on the mayor, too, right? When we say no more co-opting what we want, um, mm-hmm. we, when we ex- expressly name what our communities need, we want to see those things reflected in the legislation. Um, in terms of um, folks who are with us, um, on the Health and Human Relations Committee, um, Alderwoman Versana Rodriguez-Sanchez, who is the lead co-sponsor and always champion of treatment, not trauma. We have Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Um, we have uh, champion Byron Sixo Lopez. Uh, we have Andre Vasquez, right? Um, some real movement alders who just can't do it on their own um, and definitely can't, you know, don't hold the power to, to call the hearing. Um, and so, again, we want to say Alderman Sawyer holds the hearing on treatment, not trauma. Um, we don't want to share tr- time or take crumbs of what's left after we talk about the co-responder model. Um, we want a hearing on treatment, not trauma. Thank you so much, Kennedy, for your time today. Um, we definitely will be reaching out and saying, hey, we want a hearing on this and reminding people which I know the Torture Justice Center will be doing, reminding people on where some of these candidates stood um, 
now and not just when they are running for a larger seat or any seat. So thank you so much this morning for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Candace. Look, so there you have it. Um, This the police clearance rate in the city of Chicago is 28 percent. Let me say that again. The police clearance rate in Chicago is 28 percent. That is not that's how many crimes get solved. All of them. That's everything from carjackings to breaking an entry to murder. That's how many crimes get solved in the city of Chicago. However, the amount of money that we have paid out over the last four years to families that have been affected by police violence is staggering. We need to care for the health of our communities, and that's the mental health, too. If somebody's overdosing, a person with a gun isn't going to make a difference. If somebody is having a mental health crisis, the person with the gun isn't going to make the difference. But what will make a difference is reopening the clinics. What will make the difference is these mobile satellite offices. What will make the difference is sending an EMT when somebody is in an emergency or a mental health emergency. We got to cut this out and we got to hold these people accountable. So let's call Alderman Sawyer. Let's call the mayor's office and say we voted on this. We want this. So let's get this. We have the power, not just the people with fancy titles and fancy seats, not just the fifth floor of City Hall, not the second or the third. The people do because we put them there. So let's hold them accountable there. And if God says the same, we'll see you next Sunday.